You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. I love to come to Canada. Lots of reasons. Lots of reasons why I love this country. Coming from Chicago, I can name so many different reasons, but the one that I cannot, cannot stop thinking about, it's the first stop when I come in, it's the last stop when I go out. Anybody want to know what I'm talking about? You make the donut really well. <laughs> Tim Hortons is the place to go. I've been there every day that I've been here. I'm going to be heading on the way out. Swiss chalet, uh, take it or leave it, but Timmy's. <laughs> Tim Hortons is the place, so I don't know what it is about the donut. I've been thinking about this. Paul, it's like, um, it's denser, it's heavier. I don't know, it just, it tastes different than the donuts we make in the United States. Can anyone help me? It's just good. I don't know, and I'm eating too many of them. But no, seriously, it is so great to be here with you. And uh, uh, my wife Jody and I are just thrilled to be here with our team. So thankful for the opportunity to see what God's doing in this church, man. Let's give it up. God is at work at Harvest in this York region. And got a packed house today, and um, as Paul said, uh, Paul and Sue have been friends with Jody and I for years. I, I, thinking back, it's 20 years. I knew Paul in his life before this when he was doing Muskoka up there at NBC. Any NBC people? And uh, no, no applause for that, Paul. Do you guys know what that is? I mean, he had another life up there, and you know, I used to go up there and speak and get to know him and partner with him in ministry, and it's so great to see what God's got him doing right here. Let me say it like this. Do you know what a gem is? This gem is precious. Paul's a gem. Would you not agree? He's a gem. And oh, hold on, hold on. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, gee, I mean, he's genuine, is he not? Genuine, loves the Lord, loves you, loves the people. He's an encourager. He's been an encourager for me. And then I couldn't come up with this the M word, so Paul's manly, isn't he? Sue, is he a manly guy? I, I mean, he is manly, I'm telling you. Now, now, let's do it upright. Let's not give it up for Paul. Let's give it up for Sue for sticking with this guy and being behind him for all these years, I'm telling you. No, in all seriousness, you got a great pastor, you got a great church, God is at work, he's doing great things, and he's using their leadership to inspire. And it's been an inspiration for us, not only here in Canada and the role he plays in the Harvest Churches in the Canadian realm, but also in the United States. So we're grateful to be part of the same fellowship, Harvest Bible Fellowship, seeing what God's going to continue to do as he grows his kingdom. Let me ask this question as I get started. How many people with a show of hands have seen Les Mis? Maybe you've seen Les Mis in a play or a movie, lots of hands going up, and Les Mis is just this thing. I remember when my wife Jody saw it for the first time, she was actually, um, she went to Broadway. She was living outside of New York City and she saw it on Broadway. I'm living in Cleveland, Ohio. This is before we're married. This is before we're even Christians. And she calls me up and she's like, during the first stanza, like right after, first break, she calls me up and she says, Ron, you gotta see this thing. And I like much of you, she says, Lay Miz. I'm like, Lay what, uh, what? I, I, didn't, I didn't know what it was, you know? And, and so our family, though, we began to grow to love this. And Jody and I have seen it over and over in a variety of different forms and different players. We introduced our three girls to it. And so this is one of our favorite things to do is to see Les Mis. Let me catch you up for a moment on why we're so excited about it, why it's such a big deal. Les Mis opening scene, probably our favorite. It's when 
Jean Valjean, he's released from prison after 19 years. For those who know the story, he went to prison. Why? He stole the loaf of bread to feed his family. He's released from prison. He stays with the bishop. How does he repay the bishop for staying over at his house? He repays him by stealing his silverware. He escapes the bishop's place. The authorities, they grab him. They bring him back. Their objective is to get him back in jail for other reasons. They bring him before the bishop. They catch him. They put him before him. And something unique happens. They say, here's the man that stole the silverware. And the bishop looks at the authorities and says, oh no, you've made a mistake. I gave him the silverware. Then he looks at Jean Valjean. He says to Jean Valjean, he says, he says why didn't you take the candlesticks? The candlesticks are worth over 2,000 francs. Did you forget the candlesticks? And then he has what? He has some of his servants go and get the candlesticks and put them in his bag. And as they're stuffing them in Jean Valjean's bag, he looks at the bishop. He says, what are you doing? And the bishop looks at him. And probably the best line, maybe in the entire thing, certainly the first stanza, he says it like this. He says, you no longer belong to evil. He says, I have ransomed you from fear and hatred. I give you back to God. Now think with me for a moment. Think to yourself, why would he say such a thing? I mean, how could he say such a thing? I mean, I'm from Chicago, man. Somebody rips you off. You don't give them more. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, why did he do this? I mean, what would inspire him to do such an act, to do such a thing like this in the face of such difficulty? That's what I want to talk to you about. If you have a Bible, go ahead and do this. Open it up to Titus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, man, you've got to grab one from a seat nearest you and turn to page 998. I want to show it to you in the scripture. Power up those mobile devices. The title of the message is Grace Saturated. And we're talking about this. It's about simple church, that the church has gotten too complicated. We've gotten away from the things that matter most. And grace saturated, grace permeated, it can take over, it will take over. And so what we see here is that that's what the bishop was. The bishop was fully permeated and saturated by God's grace. That's how he could respond in such a way. Jean Valjean, if you're familiar with it, he is on his way to becoming grace permeated. For each of us today, as you found yourself in this place, my desire is that that's what we need to be, grace permeated. It needs to be expelled from us. It needs to, it needs to be bleeding from us, so to speak. So the question that I want to answer today is how do we make that happen? You say, yes, I get it, I know. How? Why? Why is it that we need to be permeated with the grace of God? Well, let's begin with this thought. If you're a note taker, please go ahead and write this down. Because grace saves me. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, it's the grace of God that saves. And we see that in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared. And it's appeared bringing something. I want to slow down for a moment. Just double click on those three words, grace of God. Maybe underline them in your Bible, mark it up a bit, the grace of God. If you've been in church for any length of time, you know that that's defined by most preachers as what? As unmerited favor. It's I've gotten something that I don't deserve. 
But if you're like me, you're trying to figure it out, you've heard that, it may go in one ear and out the other. You say to yourself, well, why don't we look at it through a different lens at a different angle and say it like this, that, that think about the things that you do deserve. Think about the fact that, yes, you went to school, or yes, you've worked real hard, you've made your way up, climbed the corporate ladder, or possibly this is you've gotten a great education, and you've put the time in, you've pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you've made some things happen, man. And you're in a place a door has opened because why? Because you've worked really hard, and you deserve it. And that's what you ought to get for your labor and for your hard work. But then there's some of us, and I know, and, and because of your bronze and because of your beauty and because of some of those things and your brains, some doors just seem to open up for some of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who are you people? We don't like you people like that. We don't. But everything just seems to work out. Well, think with me for a moment. When we're talking about the grace of God, we bring nothing to the table. Like, we bring nothing. Like, repeat after me, zero. That, that's what we bring. I mean, when it comes to the grace of God, when we're talking about what this text is meaning, that we bring nothing to the table, it's all him and none of us. That we didn't do anything to deserve it, that what? No, we deserve the exact opposite. The grace of God has what? It has appeared. Now, when I see that phrase, it has appeared, what that simply means is think with me that it was previously unseen. So for that day, even in the writing of this, that they had tasted a bit of it, but it wasn't seen physically. It wasn't experienced to the fullness that we have now. It's like the movie that you want to see, that you see the preview, and it's coming out, coming soon. And, and that's what this grace was. It was previously unseen, this grace of God. When did it come? Well, it came at the cross. It came at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It came what? It came when Jesus touched down on this earth at the cross. With me for a moment, do this. Just inhale, exhale. I don't know about you, but I needed that. It wasn't just the coffee that's got me fired up. Being with you. But inhale again. Exhale. I mean, it slows us down, and you know, most of us do that, and we don't even think about it. That's common grace. That's just common grace. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. It's just common grace, and all of us experience it. But what we're talking about here in the text is special grace. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has interrupted this world. And this grace, man, it came, and we don't deserve it. And what I love about this grace, it says in the text, it brings salvation. It brings salvation. Who does it bring salvation to? It brings salvation to all people. Now, what's interesting about that is sometimes when we say, well, you got to have this grace, man, it brings salvation. You got to get saved. And I've lived more of my life on the other side of the fence before I knew Christ than on this side of the fence. Do you hear what I'm saying? I've spent more years in my life as a non-Christian than as a Christian. And so I know sometimes, and maybe you're like me, you know, when you say to somebody who's on the other side of the fence or doesn't understand or experience this grace of God, they're like, saved from what, man? What do I need to be saved from? Like, what are you talking about? Well, it brings salvation. What are we saved from? Imagine me having a backpack right now, a huge one that is weighing me down, that's filled with bricks. And this salvation, can I remind you today that it has saved us from the guilt of sin? It has saved us from the shame of sin. Each of us would be carrying a backpack of guilt and shame. It has saved us from what? 
death, this grace. This grace, that's why it's so amazing. And it's, it's what? It's available to, it says, for all people. Now, Paul, let's not make a mistake here. He's not a universalist. What he's saying is this. He's saying that it's not a respecter, and listen carefully, it's not a respecter of race. It's not a respecter of religion. It's not a respecter of what? It's not a respecter of pedigree or what side of the uh, tracks you were born on. This grace, it's available to all people. I mean, that truly is amazing. Grace, it saves. It saves us, man. Now, for those who were at the conference, we had such a great time. I got to know many people, Jody and I, uh, at your church here. And it's just a pleasure to interact with so many couples. We were so taken back by the number of couples um, that actually were not even married yet, that were wanting to come and learn. And, and those who have been married for a long time, that are involved in mentoring other couples here. I mean, it was, just, it was just truly amazing, awesome experience. I shared some of our story. I'll just do the cliff notes here to kind of get you caught up to speed. But Jody and I, we um, met and went to high school together, all these things, found out, wound up in the Chicagoland area, and that's where we got our first jobs. And, and so we were in Chicago, and probably the worst night of our lives, we had only been married for less than a year, and the bottom fell out. We weren't churchgoers. We weren't followers of Christ. And after the worst night of our lives, man, Jody got up the next morning and we didn't go to church, as I said, and she put on a dress. I'm looking at her, what are you doing? What are you, what are you thinking? She put on a dress and she said, I'm going to church. And it's like, well, what are you going to church for? So she walked out of our apartment at 121 Oriented Court in Schaumburg, Illinois. And she went over to this church and she was gonna go to this service. She didn't even know what time it started. And it was one of those churches where, I think it was a church where it was like a Baptist church or something. So what was happening is they had services in the morning and then, then there was an Asian church that met later in the morning there. And so she walked in and met this really nice Asian woman who greeted her immediately. Now this Asian woman had this really thick, heavy accent. And Jody comes up and she tells her what's going on in her lives and man, this is what's happening. And immediately she begins to cry. The woman cries with her. She grabs her hand. She, she's talking with her. She's giving her some direction and she's gonna tell her. She's like, well, there's a church that can help you. It's a big church uh, called Willow Creek. You may have heard of it, Willow Creek down um, in, in Illinois. And so, so this lady says to her with her thick accent, she says, well, you need to go to Widow Creek. You need to go to Widow Creek. Jody's like, I don't want to kill him, man. I just want to divorce him. I mean, that's what I want to do here, you know? And, and yeah, you're laughing. Then the lady says this. The lady says, well, my husband, my husband, he a failure too. That's what we are, man. We're failures. And the ladies know it. We don't. <laughs> but we went to that church. And she gave us this advice, this Asian woman. She said, make sure you go with your whole heart. She didn't quote the scripture, but that's certainly biblical. She quoted it to us, give, them, give us the address. We wouldn't have known where to look. But we went there with our whole heart, sat down in a pastor's office. 45 minutes later, he asked us, do you want to talk about the mess that you're in with your marriage? Or do you want to talk about the grace of God and the forgiveness that's available in Christ and the fresh start you can have in him because of grace? We chose to talk about the grace. We said, hey man, give us the Jesus peace. We walked out of there, man, with the weight lifted, with the fresh start, new lease on life, why? Because grace saves. And as I stand up here today, I don't want to move forward and move on without asking you the question. 
Maybe you had the benefit of growing up in a Christian home and sat down with your mother or father at a young age. Maybe don't even remember it, but that was confirmed in, in, in camp or when you were in high school or you went and, and you made the decision at a very young age to become a follower of Christ. Or maybe you can identify with me where, man, I'm telling you, you know, your knees had to be cut out and you had to get to the point where what? Where it wasn't about, I, I had to be broken to the point where I would finally look up. And you, like me, I can point to the time and the date of when that day and that decision was made to fo- become a follower of Christ and invite this grace in my life. Well, either way, that's fine. But if you haven't made that decision, you need to make that decision right now. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. The scripture says this, for as many as received him, Jesus, and believed in his name, to them he gives the right to become children of God. This grace saves. If you're sitting here today, man, I don't know, I'm telling you, I dropped in from Chicago. Please make the decision, grace saves. Can I get an amen? Amen. It saves. So what else about this grace? Well, let me give you another S word, grace sanctifies. Grace sanctifies me. And to sanctify means to set me apart. To sanctify means to make me holy. You say, well, where do you see that? Look with me at verse 12 in Titus chapter 2. See this grace, it's like a PT, it's like a personal trainer. It says this grace, it's the greatest personal trainer of all. He's going to work out. It says the grace of God trains us. Trains us to do what? That's the subject of the sentence. It's not salvation that's training us. It's the grace of God training us for what? To say no to some things. The text says to renounce some things. What does the grace tell us to do? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You know, that stuff that your life was about before Christ. You know, the stuff that doesn't measure up to this book. That we're to filter our lives and our decisions through what this book is all about. And that we're renounce those other things. And that it's not only about what you can't do, it's what you ought to do, it's what you should be. And he says this, that you would live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Hey, when's that going to happen? End of the verse? Right now. And it happens right now, in the present age. This isn't about some future insurance policy and plan sometime later. It's about right now you can be different. Hey, how come? Because of the grace of God. God's grace, it's sanctified. It separates. It's growing us. It's causing us to be different. It's about the grace, man. The grace is the secret sauce for us as followers of Christ. It's, it's grace. And I remember that when um, I quit my job and went to seminary, I was in the business world for seven years and decided that God was calling me to do something different and to teach the Bible and to start and plant a church. And I remember going to seminary and I was, I was confused because I was thinking to myself, is it all me? That I'm going to, you know, pull myself up and I'm going to make the changes and I'm going to be different now that I've experienced this grace? Or, or is it all God? Is it him? Is he going to do that? And so this was a more what? A more passive approach. And this was a more active approach. And I thought to myself, well, which is it? And I think that some Christians, and some Christians, well-meaning Christians, because of this, because that we can pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps, because why? Because just like Americans, Canadians, what? Hey, we're not going to let you give us anything. We're going to work hard for things. We're going to do things. We have this mindset, do we not? That that we're going to bring something to the table that we're going to produce. And it's led to some Christians thinking falsely that we're, listen carefully, saved by grace and sanctified by works. That's what we think. 
And you may not say it, you may not verbalize it, but the truth of the matter is that, oh, I know, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Get that? That, that verse means that uh, it's not by works uh, because I can't be boasting in heaven. That means this, that when you get to heaven, you're not going to be, hey, God, Jesus, come on, I'm here because of me. Look. I'm here because of what I did. No, no, that's not all at all because you're saved by grace through faith. And, and then, but the problem is, is that we in the church and what happens is we think to ourselves, man, we got to go after this. We got to get this done and let's hammer this out. And, and we think that we're going to make ourselves holy. It comes out with little phrases. Please understand, I do the same thing. It's these little phrases where it's all our responsibility, where we're just like, well, I'm a Christian and I don't do that. Can't believe you're doing that. I read the Bible. I don't do that. This section, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. That's what you guys say sometimes. Or we think it, right? And John chapter 15, verse 5 reminds us, for apart from Christ, we can do nothing. If I permit, I can't do anything. And it's him doing what? Living inside me. So as I said, when I went to seminary, I was wrestling with this. And so I decided to do this. I did this little study, and I counted all the verses that said it was all me and working out the sanctification process in the scriptures in the New Testament. And all the verses I counted up that were all God. And, and, and you know what I found out? Same number. Exact same number. Let me save you $60,000. That's what it cost me to go to seminary with this wonderful truth. Well, I don't think you realize what I'm saving you right now with this. 60K, I mean, come on. That, that what is it? It's about this is what I realized is that there's all these verses, and I know you know it too, that say, no, it isn't about one or the other. It's about us cooperating, two sides of the same coin. And just like Philippians chapter 2 says, for we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that's our part. But it goes on to say in verse 13 of chapter 2, for it is God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his good purpose, that he will complete the work in you. I love what Max Licato says about this topic. He says, grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to do it. Take the camera out, take the picture. That's the tweet of the day right there. Grace is calling out. Calling out, it's the voice of God that causes you to be different, that causes you to change. And then it just doesn't end there. It's like it's the transfusion that we need to not only tell us we need to change, but empower us to do it. One theologian says it like this. He says, grace, it's not just pardon from sin. It's the power to overcome this grace. Why is it so amazing? Why? Because it saves. It sanctifies. And this grace, let me give you a third word. This grace, S word, it sustains me. This grace sustains me. It enables me to continue to keep going. You say, how? Well, think with me for a moment. There's many things that we could say. But I think probably the biggest thing is that gives hope. And you say, well, hope for what? Well, let's look in the text because that's where I see it going. Look with me at verse 13. What do we have as our hope? It says that we're waiting for our blessed hope. There it is. Well, who's our blessed hope? Let's study the Bible today. You tell me, do you get it? Do you see it? Who is our blessed hope? What does it say next? It's Jesus. He is our hope. The one we came here to worship. The one we've been worshiping with. The one we believe is here right now. It says this, we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, yes, there's going to be a time when he's going to appear in the flesh. That's our hope. 
It's not just we're going to have the spirit of him and that we can sense his presence, that we will actually see him. Oh, how would our worship change if Jesus walked up on this stage and he walked up here and he's described as the Bible describes him, not how we think. I think back, I don't know about you, grew up in a home where it was my grandmother and she had this picture of Jesus above her bed and he's blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Do you know what I'm talking about, white guy? That, that's a caricature of Jesus. That's how we see him. But who is he? Revelation chapter 19 tells me right now that he has eyes of fire. They're a flame of fire. Why? To depict his searching judgment. Have you felt the gaze of God's judgment? It says that he has many crowns on his head. It says this. It says that he's got a name written on him that no one knows except himself. Now think with me for a moment. What's that mean? Like, what does that mean? Well, what it simply means is this, is that we're never, say never, we're never going to stop learning stuff about Jesus. No matter how much we spend or how much time we're spending with him for eternity, it's like, oh gosh, that's new. I didn't know that. Didn't know. There's something else. We only have a thimble full of knowledge. He's going to dump the dumb truck on us in eternity. We'll never stop learning about him. He's amazing, man. And so if that Jesus that's pictured in Revelation chapter 19 would walk up on this stage, Boy, I wonder how that would change our worship. Some of us. Most of us. I mean, it gives us hope. He's coming back. There's over 300,000 people in the Markham area. Just amazing. All the different kinds of heritages and people and different kinds of, um, you know, it's a very unique place. But I'm not sure if we're understanding that Jesus is coming back. Let's let them know right now. Are we fired up that Jesus is coming back? Amen? He is. He's coming back. He is our blessed hope. And just for those who might be thinking to yourself critically, well, I don't know. I'm not just not sure. If that's you, can I remind you that hope in the Bible is so much different than hope that we see or that we experience in our world. There's a different definition. For us, it's like this. Hey, I hope that it's not going to be so cold when I wake up in the morning tomorrow. And it's really cold here. <laughs> I had to get my ice scraper out from the rental car and scrape the ice. And there was actually a little bit of snow. And I took a picture of it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I hope it's going to be nice tomorrow. But we hey, hope the weather's going to get a little nicer. I hope this afternoon that my Chicago Bears are going to win. That's a pipe dream, okay? That's a dream, man. It's not going to happen. But that's when we say hope, that's our definition. There's a great uncertainty in what we're hoping for in this world. But when we talk about biblical hope, it's like this. Sell the farm, man. You can guarantee. You can bet everything on it. Jesus is coming back. He is our blessed hope. And he will return. Jesus will come back. Hey, have you ever had somebody say to yourself, um, say to you, hey, where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is God? I just can't wrap my head around that. Where does it say Jesus is God? Well, look at with me at what it says in verse 13. Here's one place. It says it in a lot of different places, but here's one. Paul writes this, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He puts them right together. I mean, Jesus is God. Here's one of many places. Think about when Jesus um, said to the Pharisees himself, he said, I and the Father are one. Talk about a hermeneutical headache. It's head spinning. Like, I can't quite comprehend that. All God, all man, that's who he is. I mean, sometimes I say it like this. I just think to myself, I don't totally get it, but I got it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
I, I don't totally get it. I, I'm not that smart, okay? I, I, I'm not that smart to figure out everything, but I don't totally get it. But I'm going to tell you something. I got it. When it comes to this grace and when it comes to who Jesus says he is, when he comes to who he says, I, I get it. I certainly got it. It's changed my life. Jesus and the grace that he gives, it sustains. We had a tough um, season in our home not too long ago. Um, my 16-year-old daughter, I've got three daughters. One, our youngest, is still in high school. And one of the pack, you know how the kids in high school, they run in these little packs. And um, there's about 10 or 15 of them that they're always over our house and everything. And, and the school, and um, we really got a scare because it was really difficult. One of the kids that uh, she knows, one of the boys, who we know him, he's, he's like the life of the party kid. You know, that kid is just like, you're like, oh man, he's so funny and all this stuff. And unfortunately, he committed suicide. And so it was uncontrollable. My youngest daughter, she just, you know, I mean, constantly crying and, and she just, you know, didn't know what to do. Like, how could he do this? What happened? Like, we didn't see it coming. And, and it was so um, awful. I mean, the night that it happened, he sent a text out to many of the girls and some of the others, and the text said, he said goodbye. And, you know, that went out at about 2 in the morning. They'd been talking at 1 in the morning, 2 o'clock. He sends that text. A couple of the girls got up early that morning at 5 o'clock or 5.30 in the morning, and they checked, and they're like, oh, my gosh, we've got to tell our parents. Like, I, I'm wondering, something happened. And, and so literally uh, down the street from us, one of the girls told her dad, and he drove over to the parents, and he said, I just got to warn you about something. I think something might be wrong with your son. And, and, can you and they said, oh, no, he's upstairs. He's sleeping. And now, he, was, he had hung himself in the backyard at three in the morning in our neighborhood. I mean, it rocked our school and it rocked our family, it rocked our youth group. And I mean, there's this hopelessness. There's this despair that's in our world. And I don't think it's unique to the neighborhood that I'm living in. I think it's everywhere. And we have an opportunity to do what? To be used by the grace of God that we can this hope is to sustain us through these things, but that we would dispense it. Just let me take a moment and talk about suicide because it's close to our hearts right now. Second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24, suicide. I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but each day, statistics tell us that between grades 7 through 12, there's 4,800 attempts at suicide. So I don't know how far that goes. They're thinking about it. They try something. That's 200 per hour. Four out of five kids give clear warning signs that they're going to do this. And so we got to wake up, man, as parents and in the neighborhoods and as kids and, you know, your friends. And, man, we just, we've got to wake up. The scripture, or excuse me, the statistics say this, that one person commits suicide every 16 minutes. I mean, that's pulling back all ages, every 16 minutes. That's what? I mean, since we've been here, you know, it's like, hey, we're pushing an hour now. So what? Four or five people that committed suicide. I mean, we're living in a world that's hopeless. <laughs> and we've got it. We, we've got the hope. And if you've lost hope with this perspective, let me remind you that this grace, it can and will sustain us. And let me give you another S word, the fourth one in our study. Grace not only sustains us, but grace satisfies us. And this is what gives us the satisfaction. 
And as followers of Christ, yes, we can go down and we can be in down times, but this is what brings us up. It's like a cold drink on a hot summer day. It's like a gentle hug from a friend that you haven't seen in years. You're just so happy. And verse 14, I see it here. It says, who gave himself, Jesus did for us, to redeem us. If you double click on that, to buy us back, to purchase us. He says, from all what? Lawlessness. And his job, he wants to purify or refine himself, a people for his possession that are zealous for good works that are passionate for good works, that want to be used in such a way for eternal impact, for God to do great things. Not about this, not about success. Success is defined as what I can do in this world for myself or for my family. Or significance is about what I can do for God that's going to last for eternity. Success is just going to make it through this time period, through this time frame. Significance is what lasts forever and is eternal. What good works are you zealous for? I love what Augustine says about this scripture. He says it like this. He says, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but why? But in order that we may be able to do them. I believe, I'm naive enough to believe that God is calling to some to do some great works right here. That he's put a passion on your heart, that you have a desire, and maybe you wouldn't even admit it to anyone else, but, but maybe... Just between you and God, you know, he said, hey man, I want you to do this. Hey, I want you to start this. Hey, I want you to partner with us. Hey, I'm going to use you to do this. And you're ignoring these thoughts, thinking it can't happen. It's not possible. That's just too big. I stand here as a physical testimony that I'm telling you, God can put a dream in your heart and make it happen and will spin your wheels in such a way. It's unbelievable. He wants to use you in great ways for him. But What happens is sometimes we get caught in the big thing without the little thing. And often it's the little step of faith that matters the most. And so when I think about the grace of God, I think about the little things that the grace enables me to do each day that satisfies me, the good things. And so think with me for a moment. I don't know, I got in, you know, my car and the rental car and drove all the way up here. And I don't know, I have a tendency to drive a little fast. Anybody with me? Yeah, there's a couple honest people in here. Listen, I saw what was happening at the end of the nine o'clock service on the way out of here. There's a lot of people in this church that drive fast. And sometimes, though, it's like somebody will cut you off. Anybody been cut off? And you cut off and you get all this, and hey, you just got to let it go. It's it's grace, man. I've done that to somebody. As a matter of fact, when I cut somebody off in Chicago, what I do on the Kennedy is when I have a tendency to cut some people off, what I'll do is like, oh man, I know, I knew better than that, and I shouldn't do that. And so, so I kind of drive up to them, kind of catch up to them, and then I just do a I'm sorry wave. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jody looks at me and she said, that's going to get you a bullet in the back of the head. But why do I do it? It's grace, man. I've been there. I've made the mistake. I've done the same thing. I was at a volleyball game recently with my daughter, and, you know, we grow them tall in the Zappia household. Uh, all three girls are almost six foot tall, and so um, she's a volleyball player. And, man, she's got this hit, and I'm standing there, and I'm watching this thing, and it is clearly in bounds. Are you hearing me? It's clearly in bounds. And there's some guy, and I don't know, he's the ref, and he's on a ladder, okay? He's on a ladder, and he sees this, and he's like, no, that's out of bounds, and he calls it out. Now, it's my daughter. I'm not going to say that that didn't influence me a tad bit. 
but I, I could have done this. I could have gotten out my phone and said, look, I've got a camera. I've got a picture. I've been taken to film this thing. Look at this. I, I could have done this. I could have went over to the ladder and made him come down and said, hey, I just want to let you know something that, you know what, you're on a ladder. Okay, I'm as tall as you right now on the ladder. I saw it. It's in. Hey, you fool, you idiot, grabbed him by the car. Like, what are you, stupid? I mean, it's in. That ball was clearly in. That's my daughter. I'm happy to report here in Canada that I did not do that. <laughs> Why didn't I do it? It's grace, man. And grace makes you take a step back. And grace makes you think about things differently. And grace makes you do maybe, maybe give a little benefit to others. Grace does this. I love the scripture that says love covers a multitude of sins. How's that possible? Through grace. And so maybe somebody's been talking bad about you. Maybe the truth is on social media they posted something and you're just like, what the heck, man? I mean, I know that's a shot over the bow at me. And, and, and it's all you got to just let it go. And we do it in the name of grace. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that we're to stand firm in, in grace. And then think about that. Take, think about the you know, pose. It's like, I'm going to stand firm and there's going to be stuff coming at me. And, and what's going to keep me grounded I'm going to stand firm in the grace of Almighty God. And it's not going to tip me over. Oh, I may go to the mat. I may be, I'm telling you, I may fall down, but I will not be knocked out. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And that's because of the grace of God. He sustains us. And so let me give you, it's not in your notes, I'll give you a bonus S word. Grace also does this. It speaks. And so grace speaks through me. And notice with me what verse 15 says because I think that's probably the biggest admonition in the text because it tells us what to do it says declare these things what things well the grace saves the grace sanctifies man that grace sustains, that grace satisfies. Like, I want you to declare these things. I want you to exhort these things. I want you, love this, rebuke with all authority. So what's he saying? You have the authority, you here at Harvest York Region, walking out of here, so many different kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds from different kinds of places that what, you can get on the internet and FaceTime people all over the world. I declare you have all authority to do what? To to rebuke with all authority people who don't understand the grace of God. To do what? To declare the greatness of Almighty God. This grace is supposed to speak through us. It's supposed to hit us in such a way where it causes us to open up our mouths. Declare these things, man. How the grace of God has changed you. Declare it. Let me close with a movie. Everybody okay with that? What, if, I wasn't, if you said no, I wasn't going to do it? <laughs> Schindler's List. Boy, that one already, you just, you know, just the tone goes down. If you've seen it, I mean, it's just... It's just such a tough one. And so the story is a true story about Oscar Schindler. He's a businessman um, that employs Jewish people. Un understand this, the time when they're being exterminated in Germany. He employs Jewish people, sets up this company, and convinces the government and the Jewish people, the Nazis, he's like, well, I need these Jewish people because you need some goods. See, you like what they're producing, so I can only use them to make what I want so that you can enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so literally, one by one, he's employing Jewish people that, I mean, they, they, he's employing them to save their lives. 
mean, it, it's incredible. And the last scene of the movie, the last scene of the movie, like it's a season where they're thanking him and, and there's a whole group of people that are on the tracks and he's leaving. And, and what should be just an unbelievable emotional time of thanksgiving turns into something else. And so they're thanking him and they even, they give Oscar Schindler, they give him a ring and on the inscription of the ring, it says, whoever saves one life saves the world. And the guy says, yeah, that's in the Talmud. And then what happens next is, is Schindler has like this emotional breakdown. If you've seen the movie, you'll remember. And all of a sudden, you, his, his eyes, he gets flushed and there's tears I can imagine. And he says, but you don't know how much I wasted. You don't know how much money I had. You don't know how much money I blew party and doing all these things and all this time. And then he looks at his car and he says this, is that car right there, that car could have been 10 lives. That car right there was worth 10 lives. He looks at the pin at his jacket and he says, this pin, this pin, it, it, was, it was two lives. For sure, I could have gotten one life. I could have done more. You don't know how much I wasted. And as I think about that scene in that movie, I, I think about my own life. And my greatest nightmare is that I'll be before my Lord Jesus Christ wondering if I could have done more. If I could have used the influence that he'd given me, the relationships, to influence more people for the kingdom, to, to do more work to speak of this grace. And, and I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. And this, this motivates me because I want to do all that I can do for him. I'm a participant in the grace. And as I've experienced it, I want to extend it. What about you? So what is it that God's calling you to do? Paul likes to say it in his message as he closes, I've learned. So what? Have you heard that before? So what? I mean, what are you going to do, man? Like, how has this grace affected you? If you'd bow your heads with me, I just would like to pray for us. But as you're bowing your heads, I believe that this is a time that's important. The scripture says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of the Lord. And I've done my best to try to faithfully bring the word of the Lord about this topic, grace, which can't be talked about. It's got to be experienced. And, and I'm thankful for the people that have experienced it here. And maybe there's one or two that hasn't made a decision for Jesus Christ yet. And you've heard about this grace that changed me or that takes the weight of sin off of you. And this is your time to make the decision. This is your time to say, I'm done with myself. I'm done with this, this life that I'm living. And I got to turn it over to God. And, and I've got to admit that I'm a sinner. And I got to believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And you can confess him right now as your Savior and Lord because he is coming back. And he's coming back. He wants to come back for you. And in this moment, if you've experienced that grace, would you pray for those who may not have? And that they would make this decision right now by calling out to God. It's, an easy, it's as easy as that. Just admit the fact that you're a sinner. Believe in the cross and what Jesus did for you. And confess him as your Savior and Lord. But then there's many of us here that We've experienced that grace, so I would ask you the challenge for you, so what? What are you going to do? How is God calling you to move forward? Maybe this grace needs to train you so that you can overcome that thing that has been in your life, that is plaguing you, that continues to come, that old life 
that this grace can help you get a fresh start, to move forward, to begin anew. Or maybe it's about a ministry opportunity or it's about an opportunity to share the grace. I don't know what it is. But I know this, that God is specific and he wants to have a word with you. What is he calling you to do for grace, through grace, and by grace? Father, I pray for you to continue to speak and I pray for your people to respond now. And even as they're spending a moment in you, the scripture says, call to me and I will answer and I will show you great and mighty things that they would experience a fresh touch of your hand in this moment. And Father, after they've experienced that, would they then be able to stand with us and and sing about this grace, how amazing, truly amazing it is. Don't cut this time short. Lord, please don't allow that. Take a moment and reflect. Lord, have your way in our hearts now and let us respond as we feel led.